Well, Father, we do praise your name this morning. We've sung it, and now we say it to you, Lord. I, my hope, my prayer is that this is not just my words, but the words of your people here at LifePoint as we gather together corporately to worship, to praise, to, to be taught and to be equipped and to be edified and to minister to one another and to serve one another and to do all the things that we do here uh, within the way that we gathered together for worship in our culture. And so, God, meet us, we pray. We rejoice that you are with us. We rejoice that you have been with us. We rejoice, Lord, that your promise is that you will continue to be with us. Corporately, individually, those of us who have come to know you, God, we rejoice in that. Those who are here today who may not have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they would see what it is to be part of the body of Christ that they might know your word, that you might open up ears and, and, and hearts to receive that word, Lord God. So, Lord, as we come together, we do so wanting to lift up your name and to acknowledge you, Lord, and to not just do it because it's a, a something that we do as creatures of habit, but, Father, that we would be mindful that we have come together as your people in this local congregation called LifePoint, to lift up your name, to worship you, and to exalt the name of your son Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would help us to do that in a way that honors you and honors one another. Lord, that now as we turn to your word, that you would teach us through your word that we would be trained. Lord, that we would be called to account that we would be rebuked where we need to be rebuked. Father, that you would put us back together again and you would rebuild us so that we, Lord God, might be those people who are, who are progressing from one stage of glory to the next in our walk with Jesus Christ. Lord, we lift up to you our brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing this very same thing or something very similar to it as they gather together today, this weekend for worship. Be gracious to them. Father, we pray for them. We are thankful to be in partnership with multiple, multiple other congregations here in the south side of Indianapolis who are engaged in gospel ministry and engaged in trying to build the kingdom of God here. And so we commend these brothers and sisters in Christ to you. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ afar who are worshiping as well. At some point during the course of this week, coming together, Lord, those who are able to do that, we lift them up to you. We pray for these friends, these brothers and sisters who are gathered in other locations across the globe. Be gracious to them. Pour out your spirit upon them, we pray. Father, we pray today that you would be merciful to us as a nation. God, that you would call us to account, that you, Lord God, would demonstrate your grace when in so many ways you should be demonstrating your wrath, Father, as we come together on this day the Sanctity of Life Sunday. And we think, Lord God, of so many lost lives, so many innocent lives lost, so many hurting moms as well, so many, so many broken pieces in our culture. And it has cost so many, so many lives. So Father, we pray that you would be gracious to us and you would have mercy on us, Lord God. And at the same time, we are praying, Father, that you would bring an end to this great scourge Father, that you would be merciful and that you would demonstrate your favor even in the midst of so much tragedy. We need your help, Lord God. So would you 
minister to us as a people today. And Father, this doesn't just happen in America. It happens across the globe. And so we pray, Father, for mercy. And Father, that you would, you would bring an end to this and that you would right these wrongs, Lord God. And so, Father, today, as we come before you and as we turn to a text that is so deep and penetrating and so rich and yet will call us to account, Lord, open our eyes and our ears to respond to your word. And Father, as we send out our missionaries into this world to take a gospel of hope to a desperate, desperate world, we pray that you would be gracious to them. Father, we, we ask that, that as we send, that you, Lord God, would be going before our missionaries we pray specifically for Bob and Debbie today and the work that they're doing. And we pray, Father, that you would be gracious to them as they make contacts with those in the Arab world, as they minister to those who are preparing to go onto the field full-time in the Arab world. We ask that you would bless their ministry of you as, as you have done, Lord God, for so many decades already, that that would continue on. We are honored to be partnered in ministry with them. And so we pray your blessing upon them that you would be gracious to them as a husband, as a wife, as a mom and a dad. And Lord, as those that you have set apart for gospel ministry and missions for so many years and utilized them so effectively, we pray that that would continue, Lord God. That's their desire, that's their hope, that's their prayer. And so we join with their in that prayer, Lord, that you would give them great fruitfulness in their work and in their ministry. Now, Lord God, meet us in your word as we turn to this Letter, this prophecy of Habakkuk, teach us, we pray. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Those of you who are in the first service, say hello to those who are second service folks. If they've taken your seat, be gracious to them. I'll get used to you sitting in different seats here this morning. It'll take me just a little while. I'm glad we were able to get the word out, and I'm glad that uh, we're able to be here. I know, once again, this morning we'll likely have many on live stream, and so we welcome you as well. Uh, just want to draw your attention quickly before we begin this message to um, this little bookmark that uh, you can find at the ministry uh, desk here or at the information desk, welcome desk. Um, Sophie Nye, one of our ministry assistants, did a wonderful job of taking Titus 3, 1 through 7, a passage I challenge you to memorize this year and put it on a nice little uh, bookmark for you. So if you'd like to pick one of those up, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, recorded in the ESV. I've memorized mine in the NIV. You memorize it in whatever text you want to, but it's here in the ESV. I'm assuming that's where most people are memorizing the text from. And so if you'd like to pick one of these up, you're welcome to do that at the information desk here this morning. And so as we turn to our second message in this series of how long, O Lord, from the prophet Habakkuk, we are called to, to wonder at God and be astounded at our God, to see our God acting in a way that at times we don't like, if we're perfectly honest, and being called to consider how do we continue to worship a God that that allows or causes things that we wonder about. 
We wonder why he does the things he does. Habakkuk is in that very situation. The God he has grown to love and to worship is about to do something that Habakkuk can't even believe. And so we'll have to ask that question of ourselves as well this morning. How do we grapple with this God who is the exact same God today as he was when Habakkuk was grappling with him, when Habakkuk brought before him his great complaint or his great burden before the Lord that we talked about last week. Back in June of 1941 in Europe, an operation began called Operation Barbarossa. And that was an operation by which Nazi Germany, by deception, invaded Russia. And they did so with lightning speed as they were wont to do in that day and age with their panzer divisions making a huge encroachment into Russian territory. Now in 1939, they'd signed a pact of peace with Russia. They had both conquered Poland and had divided Poland amongst themselves. And so everybody thought they were on good terms. We thought we were about ready to go to war at some point with both Russia and Germany, which would have been quite the task. And yet Germany... Uh, without informing anybody, in particular the Russians, began their invasion of Russia. Now, Russia was not necessarily a godly nation, any more than most nations are godly nations, right? They were doing a lot of things that, that people would have disagreed with in that day, including many Russians. And yet, God brought upon them a swift invasion from Nazi Germany that most people would say in that day and age was not a good nation, in fact, worse than Russia. And yet here comes this nation charging in in this operation and taking up massive swaths of territory in Russia. The whole world for the Russian people changed in one night. The entire world changed. They were were no longer a nation on the move, aggressively taking over territory, but they were now forced to pull back and to fight a defensive war. And this is what Habakkuk is facing. He's facing a God who's about to bring destruction on the nation of Judah, which is not a godly nation. This was Habakkuk's complaint last week at the beginning of his prophecy. Why does he have to live amongst a people like the Judean people and amongst kings and leaders like the Judean leaders who who are oppressive and do not hold up justice? Why is Habakkuk forced to look at injustice day after day after day after day? He's sick of living among his own, amongst his own people. And yet now God says to him, here's the answer. I'm going to bring swift destruction on Judah. And Habakkuk can't believe his ears. Because a nation that is less godly than Judea is about to come and conquer the southern kingdom of Israel. And Habakkuk is astounded, as God calls him to be astounded. And so today, friends, this is what I'm asking us to do as well, to wonder at God, to be astounded by our God, and to recognize that our God is not so much to be understood as He is to be obeyed and worshipped as our God, who works in His own sovereign way. And so let's see what God's answer is to Habakkuk today, to his great complaint. Let's stand together, shall we? And we'll read from Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. This morning, Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. We have it on the screen for you as well. God says to Habakkuk and to us, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. 
For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. And so here come the Chaldeans. Here come this fierce nation. Here come this nation that uses mounted cavalry that Israel has not seen, that Judea has not seen. They, they know how to fight. They know how to even utilize chariots and horses. But they don't know how to fight from horseback. And they don't know how to fight those who are coming swiftly with their cavalries. They don't know how to defend themselves against a nation like the Chaldeans. And so Habakkuk has presented his burden to the Lord. And now it's time for him to hear back from God. As, as Job, in that great, maybe oldest book of the Bible, has to hear back from God after he presents his complaint to God. A lot of parallels and correlations between Job and Habakkuk. And Job will now have to hear from the Lord. As Habakkuk will have to hear back from the Lord. To Job, after many, many chapters of complaint, God finally is ready to respond. And he responds by saying to Job, Now, brace yourself like a man, because I'm about to speak to you. You've had your way. You've had your complaint. You've had your questions. Now, brace up like a man, because now you're about to hear from me. And that's what Habakkuk has to be prepared for. He has now made his burden known to God. And now God is going to respond to him. And Habakkuk is not going to like the Lord's answer any more than many of us like the Lord's answers to us sometimes. When we placed our burden before the Lord, when we placed our request before the Lord, and the answer isn't what we wanted. In fact, it may be in some ways the opposite of what we asked for. And we begin to wonder about our God. We begin to wonder whether or not our prayers are being heard. We begin to wonder if God cares about us. We begin to wonder if God is really a just God. Because surely we know justice, right? We know how things should be done. And so many times God doesn't seem to agree with us. He doesn't seem to be on our team. He doesn't seem to be on our side. And we wonder about this God. And quite frankly, friends, we, we lie if we say we don't. We wonder at times about our God. Habakkuk is wondering about his God. And he's about to hear from the Lord. And my guess is he's laid his, his burden, his complaint before the Lord. And now he's kind of like this, you know, waiting. I want to hear from God, but I'm not sure I want to hear from God. You know, it's kind of like when somebody wants to show you a gaping wound on their leg, right? And you kind of want to say, I, I do want to see it. I mean, I'll admit, I want to see that wound, but I want to see it from an angle first, right? I don't want to see it straight on. 
It reminds me at times years ago when I was a police officer and I would be the first one to respond maybe to, to a, a, a home break-in or to a business break-in. And uh, if I happened to be the first one in, which usually happened to be the case because I was a rookie and so go on in, rookie, you're the first one in. And guys coming in behind me and you go to a closet and you go to the closet door and you open it kind of like, like this, you know, or like this. Or if you could do it, you do it like that. You know, you don't really want to know what's in the closet. You know you got to open the door, because if not, you're going to hear about it all day long. But you don't really want to be the first one to open the door. And I think that's probably what it's like for Habakkuk, right? He, he's laid his, his, his burden before the Lord, but now God's going to respond. And now he's got to decide, how, do I, how am I going to hear back from God? And so he needs to brace himself up and be ready to hear what God has to say to him. And I suspect he was hoping, one might hope, that the response to his lament, his complaint to God, is going to be a word of comfort. We see that so often in the Old Testament in particular. Right? There's a complaint. There's a, God, where are you? What are you doing? And God responds to that lament or to that cry with a word of hope and a word of salvation and a word of peace. And I'm guessing that's what Habakkuk is hoping for. It's what we hope for when we pray, when we lament, when we complain to God. We're hoping for a positive response, right? We're, we're hoping that God is going to respond with a word of hope and salvation for us. But Habakkuk doesn't get that. Instead, he gets a word of judgment, He gets a further word of judgment from the Lord. And it's not because God doesn't love Habakkuk. And it's not because God doesn't have a love for his people Israel. He does. He loves them. But Habakkuk has been crying out for justice. And so God's response to Habakkuk is, I'm bringing justice. This is a prayer that is answered in the affirmative. Habakkuk says, why are you making me look on this injustice? Why is this happening in Judea? And God is saying, I'm going to bring justice. You're asking for justice? That's exactly what I'm going to bring. It's just not the way Habakkuk wants it brought. And so often, friends, that's God's answer to our prayers. I am answering your prayer. It is in the affirmative. It's just not what you were hoping for. People die. Cancer remains in the people that we love at times. Bad things happen. And we think that God must not be listening. But God has told us there is an overarching theme to this world. It's his world. And he is bringing justice. And that day is coming. And we struggle with that because we want instant justice. We want instant fixes. And I'm just like you, right? When my children were sick, I wanted them well. Not tomorrow, tonight. And that's just how we are. We're geared that way. And God is helping Habakkuk to see that we can't all be geared like that. Habakkuk is the prophet, and he needs to grow up, and he needs to know that God is going to do the right thing, and he is answering his prayer in the affirmative. He is answering his lament in the affirmative. God is about to do something that is not only beyond Habakkuk's ability to comprehend, but it's 
beyond his ability to even believe, right? It's just beyond his ability to even wrap his mind around. How could God be doing this? It's because God works in mysterious ways, friends. His wonders to behold. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-ending skill. He treasures up his bright design and works his sovereign will. God is doing what God does best. He is sovereignly overseeing the nations of the world. And he is engaged in one man's life, Habakkuk. He's listening to Habakkuk in the midst of an entire cosmos, in the midst of an entire world, in the midst of a world that seems to be falling apart for this prophet. God is not only engaging with him individually, but he's overseeing the nations as well. He's got all that under control. He's got all of this figured out. He's listening to the prayer of his prophet. He's responding to him in the affirmative, and now Eventually, as we walk through Habakkuk, he's going to help Habakkuk begin to understand but not fully comprehend. But to move further down the walk of, of, of understanding and at least being able to engage with this God that he has grown to love and to worship. Habakkuk cannot believe it. But friends, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. You remember from Luke chapter 1 when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're about to give birth. And Mary says, ah, there's a problem, right? There's a problem with this scenario. <laughs> I've never been with a man. And the angel essentially says, I'm paraphrasing here, we got this one figured out, right? This one we got figured out. And you're not even going to believe it when I tell you. <laughs> and your husband's not going to believe it either, or you're the one you're betrothed to. And so Gabriel will have to go and fix that too because people in the first century, they kind of knew how that stuff happened. And she knew it hadn't happened, right? And so the angel Gabriel says to her, the Holy Spirit's going to oversee, overshadow you. And, and so this child within your womb will be called the son of the Most High God. And then he says, even your, your relative Elizabeth, right, who was said to be barren and is beyond the age of childbirth, she's now in her sixth month. And therefore, he says to Mary, it shall be said, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing's impossible for God. God can bring about justice to the nations and minister to individual human beings as well. Nothing is impossible for God. God is doing what God is doing because it's the right thing to do. It is justice. And even though individual human beings may not be able to comprehend it and would say, I take issue with what you're about to do, God's going to do it anyway because he's a sovereign God. Because he's a holy God, because he's a good God, and because he is a just God. And so, friends, it may seem impossible for you that your children who do not know Christ will come to know Christ. It may seem impossible for you that there may be people in your lives who are engaged in ways that are, that are destructive, that God could ever do anything about that. You keep on praying for them. 
Because there's nothing that's impossible for God. Who would have been praying for the apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus? When he was murdering people? When he was engaged with a religious fervor against the people of God? Who would have thought that God would get a hold of a man like that? And now we read his letters that, comp- uh, that uh, comprise almost half of the New Testament as the words of God, as that which we must obey because it comes from God through the Spirit and the Apostle Paul. We keep on praying. We keep on asking. We keep on calling God to do these things. And we trust that nothing is impossible for our God. Nothing is impossible for our God. Habakkuk is called to wonder and be astounded. And we are called at at times, friends, to wonder and be astounded at our God. Not to figure him out. Not to get him from every angle. Not to plumb the depths of our God because we will not be able to accomplish that. But we are called to worship him and to obey him as well. To wonder at him and be astounded at this God that we serve and that has for so many of us come into our lives and saved us from ourselves. Who would have ever thought you would be a follower of Jesus Christ? And yet so many of you are. New creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. For so many of us here today, an incredible supernatural act of God. And so among the nations at that time, Babylon was not a consideration to Judah as a threat. They were a long ways away, and they had not yet risen to their power, to their might yet. They were known, but they were known from afar by the people of Judea. And yet God says, I'm going to raise them up, and I'm going to bring them across the deserts, and they're going to be at your doorstep, and I will bring judgment upon you through them. If you go back to Isaiah 39, and we won't do that here this morning, but at some time if you want to do that, go back to Isaiah 39. You'll see that Hezekiah, a very, very good king of Judah, has made himself an alliance with this far-off nation called Babylon. And when they find out that he was sick on the point of death but had recovered, they sent envoys to him. And Isaiah the prophet is a bit perplexed that Hezekiah will receive these envoys from Babylon, but he does. And not only does he receive the envoys from Babylon, but he takes them into the temple precincts and shows them all the treasures of the people of Israel, all the gold and all the the artifacts of the people of Israel. He's proud of his nation, and he shows the envoys all these things. And Isaiah the prophet has to come to him after that and say, did you receive the envoys from Babylon? Yes, I did. What did you show them? I showed them everything. Everything we possess. And Isaiah says to him, the day will come when those very Babylonians will come and they will take every single thing from the temple. Everything you've shown them, it will be theirs. And they will take it back not only to their nation, but they will take our people back to their nation as well. And Hezekiah, the good king's response, anybody remember? This is a good prophecy. There will be peace in my day. As long as it's not me, as long as it's only my descendants, all is well and right with the world. But Babylon was not that nation yet. Friends, let me just ask this and consider this for a moment. Consider that you are perplexed 
by the injustice in America. I'm perplexed by the injustice in America. I'm perplexed by the way that our nation has proceeded. I'm perplexed by the violence. I'm perplexed by the slaughter. I heard somebody here in the last couple of weeks say, those nations, though, they kill children. And my answer was, so do we. (laughs) By the millions. By the millions. I'm perplexed by this nation. And there are times when I grievously call out to God to bring justice back to our nation. How would I respond? How would you respond if God said, I'm going to. I'm raising up a nation called North Korea. An impetuous people, rash people, a violent people. The reality is, is likely it's not the people, it's just the leaders. But how would we respond if we were to find out that that's how God will bring justice to America? A nation that we don't think is a problem to us. They're far off. They're rattling their saber, but we're not too afraid of them. But what if God raised them up and said, before long, America will no longer be America. It will be under the power and the authority of the North Koreans. And many of your people will be ushered back to North Korea to work in the mines and to work in in the fields of North Korea. I'm not trying to be disparaging towards another nation, but the reality is, is that almost every American would say, they're not our friends, they're our enemies. This is what Habakkuk is hearing. This is what Habakkuk's hearing from God. This is his response to his complaint. God is raising up a nation to tear down Judah. He's raising up a nation to tear down Judah. And an amazing thing is about to take place in Habakkuk's day. A wicked nation that God knows is a wicked nation. Listen to how he describes the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. He knows what they're like. They're impetuous. They're violent. They sweep on. They destroy cities. They take captives like sand. They don't treat those captives well. They kill and they murder and they maim. They have no concern for the young or the old. Their God is their own might. That's their God. And God is raising them up knowing full well what this nation is all about. So that they can tear down the people that he is in covenant relationship with. Who have abandoned him. Whom God has warned time and time again that this is going to happen if they continue on this treacherous track. Listen to what God said many, many, many decades before to the people of Israel. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things. Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle. A nation whose language you do not understand. A hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. It also shall not leave you grain, wine, or oil. 
the increase of your herds or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. Now, this is back in Deuteronomy, long before the events in the life of Habakkuk. This was the warning of God, and it comes time and time and time again to the people of Israel, and it is ignored time and time and time again by the people of Israel. The Babylonians are all these things, fierce, bitter, hasty, thieves, dreaded by the nations, fearsome, proud, arrogant, brutal, and oppressive, but they live far away from Judah, but not far enough away because they are coming, and God is raising them up, and he is setting a path before them to Judah. And so a godless nation will chastise a blessed people. And the people of Israel, who should have learned to kiss the sun, as Psalm 2 caused them, or called them to do, refused to do that. And so Babylon will sweep down upon them and chastise them. And they will now know the wrath of a God who they have only seen the wrath from afar. As God poured out his wrath on the nations that oppressed Israel, now God will pour out his wrath on the people of Israel, on the people of Judah as well. And they will know God's retribution for the rejection of this God. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain, the psalmist says in Psalm 2. The kings of the earth, they set themselves up and the rulers of the earth they gather, they, they consult together, and they rise up against the Lord and against his anointed. And as that psalm comes to an end, now, therefore, kings of the earth, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice and trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, because his wrath is kindled quickly. And so it is. This is what will happen to the people of Israel. And we think, thank goodness that's an Old Testament God. We've got a New Testament God. We got Jesus, and Jesus is on our side. And Jesus loves us. He's not concerned about our injustice. He's not concerned about the things that we do. He's not concerned about those things because he just loves us. And it's true. He loves us. And then we turn to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 7, in the words of Jesus. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and do many mighty works in your name? And I, Jesus, first person, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, your workers of iniquity. Notice what Jesus says there. He doesn't say, you never claim to know me. That's not what he says. These are people who did claim to know him. These are people who did say, Jesus is Lord. And Jesus says to them, you may have said that you know me, but I never knew you. And therefore depart from me. Because you are workers of lawlessness. You are workers of iniquity. And we can't get our minds around this God. We can't understand this God. We're baffled by him. We're baffled by Jesus who speaks so much of love and kindness and mercy and yet can say something like that in Matthew chapter 7. And as Job came to understand in Job chapter 26 where he 
has now begun to put some pieces together in his own life and who this God is that he is, he is uh, consulting with. And he lays out who this God is who put together the, the, the cosmos and, and who built the nations and who knows the finest details of the earth and the finest details of all things and of all people. And as he draws it all together in Job 26, he says, of all these things I've just said about God that I know, these are but the outer fringes of his ways. How faint the whisper that I hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? Just the outer fringes, friends. We're just getting through the crust. There's so much more about our God that eye has not seen and ear has not understood. There's so much more beyond this life for us who have come to know Christ to plunge into the vast ocean of our God where now we see is only through a mirror dimly. Then we will begin to see face to face. Then we will begin to see God as God is, Christ as Christ is. Now we hear but just a faint whisper of him. But there is a thunder to God's power, and he is revealing that to Habakkuk. And, dear God, I believe he will reveal it to us one day as well, as individuals and as a nation as well. He will, will reveal himself to us. And so now, what we're all waiting for, myself included, is a word of hope, right? A word of hope in the midst of all of this. Because Habakkuk isn't going to quite start putting the pieces together until chapter 3. And we've got a ways to go before we get to chapter 3. And so a word of hope for us today, friends. And that is this. Human beings cannot understand the workings of our God. Not fully. We cannot. And here's the good news. We're not expected to. God's not expecting us to know all about him. To plumb the depths of who he is and his justice and his mercy and his sovereignty and how he works in the world and in your life. Look what he says here through the prophet Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will not abandon, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Friends, God is here and we are here, and that doesn't even demonstrate the reality of it, does it? His ways are beyond our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts, beyond our ability to comprehend and to put all the pieces together. And so what do we do? Do we find ourselves just dealing with the God that we can't understand and therefore we just keep our mouths shut? Of course not. We have 66 books that we call the Bible that reveal to us our God. The fact that we don't know everything about God does not mean that we don't know anything about God. He has revealed himself to us in wonderful ways so that we may wonder at him, that we may be astounded at him. He just hasn't told us everything. And I, for one, want to know way more. But there are just some things that I have to say, God, how faint the whisper is that I know of you. After four decades of pursuing Christ, how faint the whisper is 
that I know of you, but I am astounded by God. And I trust that so many of you are astounded by this God as well. Friends, things are not always as they appear. Defeats are not always defeats. Victories are not always victories. Those Germans on the Eastern Front in Operation Barbarossa won victory after victory against the Russians. One wicked nation battling out against another wicked nation. And the Germans were winning massive victories on almost every front on the Eastern Front, moving deeper, deeper into Russian territory until they're on the outskirts of Moscow. But it wasn't June anymore. Now it was the dead of the Russian winter. And the Russian winter killed the Germans. Killed them. And the Russians who were prepared for the Russian winter came and they mopped them up as they pushed them all the way back out of Russian territory. Victory after victory after victory that we would call a Pyrrhic victory. And a Pyrrhic victory is simply this. It's a victory that costs you so much you can't afford another victory. Those who fought against the Romans have been recorded, multiple of these nations have been recorded in extra-biblical documents saying to win a victory against the Romans is a defeat in the long run. Any more victories like this and we will go home without an army. Why? Because the Romans always replenished their ranks and they didn't care how many people they lost in battle. They were fodder. They just got replaced. And any nation who cared about their soldiers could not fight them. They could defeat them, but they could not win the war because they just got faced with new recruits who were angrier and angry at what had taken place in the last battle. And so it was for the Germans. And so it was for our enemy at the cross, friends, who relished the reality that Jesus, the Son of God, went to the cross and won a Pyrrhic victory at the cross a victory that cost him everything, a victory that brought hope and salvation to every single one of us, friends. Christ goes to the cross. It looks like a loss. It looks like a defeat. But as Paul tells the Colossians, it was actually taking all the forces of evil and showing them to be what they were and lifting them up as it were and demonstrating their ultimate defeat at the cross. There's our hope, friends. There's our hope when we cry out to God and say, why aren't you hearing me? Why aren't you fixing this? Why don't they know Jesus yet? Why am I still sick? Why are they still sick? Why did they die at the prime of their life? Why are you doing what you're doing? Friends, for so many people, it's the primary reason why they're no longer a Christian. Right? Why they are de-churched now. Why they are ex-evangelicals is the term we use today. Why? Because they couldn't understand this God. And the things they wanted, they didn't get. And who wants to serve a God like that? And therefore we'll go and make a God of something else. Something that will give us what we want. And who is that God almost always, friends, particularly in our culture? It's us. We're God now. And we get what we want. And if people don't like it, we can tell them how you're making me now the victim. Why aren't you feeling sorry for me? Just because I've made myself a God, why don't you feel for me? 
Christ has offered himself to us, friends. He's given us everything. He went to the cross for us. We say, why aren't you doing something about this? And Jesus' answer every time is, I have done something about it, friends. I have done something about this. There's our hope. It lies in the cross of Jesus Christ. It lies in Jesus himself, who lived a perfect life, should not have been subjected to that type of humility, should not have been subjected to death. And who put him to death? Good people? Kind people? Just people? No. Unjust people. People who knew nothing but sin. They're the ones who put him to death. And it wasn't just the Romans and the Jews, friends. I put him to death. You put him to death. He died for our sin. Why? Because the Jesus who said, depart from me because I do not know you, he does know many people who have come to him in humility and repentance and have laid their lives before him and have said, take this life, warts and all, sin and all, Rebellion after rebellion after rebellion after rebellion. Take it and nail it to the cross with you and save me from myself and save me from an unjust world and fix what's broken. And Jesus' answer is, I will and I have and I will continue to do that. Hope lies in the cross of Jesus Christ, friends. For we know that in all things God is working towards the good for those of us who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. That may be one of the most fought over texts of the New Testament there in Romans 8.28. How can this be good? <laughs> How can he be working this to my good? He is, and he's promised that's exactly what he's doing. And we are confident of this, friends, that he who began a good work in us will see it through to completion in Christ Jesus. Amen. He who began a good work in us will see it through to completion in Christ Jesus. Friends, wonder and be astounded by our God. Wonder and be astounded by him. He's not to be fully understood, but he is to be worshipped, friends. He is to be worshipped by us. Because, oh, the depths of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways beyond tracing out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen? Amen. God, I pray that you would help us all, myself included, to come to grips with the realities of who you are. And to humble ourselves before you and to hear from you and to trust in you. Lord, when it is so difficult for us to do that at times, help us, God. Give us faith. Open up our eyes. Soften our hearts. Help us to see Jesus. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would know us. That you would know us. And that we would be found in you and our hope would come from you. God, I pray that for each one in this room today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.